guys. Hey. <laughs> well, today I'm going to be speaking on Isaiah 58. I'm not sure if you guys know that passage, but it's one that is so dear to my heart. And the Lord over the past four years has just been transforming me more and more and developing a love for this scripture. Um, but I just want to start off, I, I just want to give you guys a little background. I'm not sure many know me beyond greeting you guys at the door or leading a prayer set, but I've been with J-Hop for the past um, five years, um, and the Lord has just transformed my life through the place of prayer, and He's continuing to. It's amazing what each season brings and what He does um, through the place of prayer. And here I am today. Never would I thought that I'd be standing up here <laughs> preaching. <laughs> so if you guys want to just turn in your word to Isaiah 58, I hope you guys all brought your Bible because it's the most essential thing for living. So Isaiah 58 says, Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily, and they delight to know my ways, as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure. You exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate, to strike with a fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a, a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring your to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh, then, then your light shall break forth like the morning. And your healing shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. And the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of wickedness. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones, and you shall be like a well-watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach and the repairer of streets to dwell in. But as I've been going over this for the past couple of weeks, just 
getting more involved in, in searching out just the scripture. It's so full of promise. It's so full of goodness. And I, I, I just got brought to mind, I, John, how many of you guys know John Piper? He has a quote and he says, We've been saved not merely to avoid evil, but to do good. Therefore, the people of Christ should not be known primarily for what we don't do, but what we do. Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You recall, he also said in Titus 2.14, that Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And you remember even the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, he said, let your light shine before men so that they will give glory to your Father in heaven. We are saved for the sake of God exalting good works. This is the aim of our justification. It's not the ground, but it's the aim and the fruit. Mm -hmm. There is something very close to Jesus' heart in this passage of Scripture. I just want you to see this and get this. You you can hear it coming out of His words when He says in Luke 4.18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim to release captives, to recover the, the sight of the blind, and to set those free who are downtrodden. He also says in Matthew 25, 35, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. In John seven thirty eight, he who believes in me, as the scripture said... From his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Mm. Now a trusting relationship with Jesus is the way Isaiah 58 will be fulfilled in your life. (coughs) The burden of this chapter pervades the ministry of Jesus and more and more I believe it will pervade our ministry as Jehoph and your individual ministry as men and women of Christ. Okay, so that's just the beginning. We'll get into it now, verse by verse, and hopefully I won't be, like, so long. But in the first three verses... (laughs) I know. (laughs) In the first three verses, God brings an indictment against his church, his people. He tells Isaiah to cry loudly, to declare to the house of Jacob their sins. But their sin is cloaked with an amazing veneer of religious fervor. This is so stunning. When I was reading this, this was so stunning and sobering. As I was going through it, and I was reading exactly what they were doing. It's just, it's unbelievable. Yet they seek me day by day, that they delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that has done righteousness, and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God. In other words... They worship as if they were righteous and obedient. And they themselves have persuaded their own hearts that they were walking with the Lord. They had fallen into such deceit and blindness in their own hearts 
that they didn't see how far away they were from what God really truly wanted. This is terrible. This is a terrible, terrible delusion mm-hmm. that people live in, in our society, in our nation, the church at large. We live in such a delusion. We can do act upon act. We can go to prayer meeting after prayer meeting. We can go to church service after church service, conference after conference. Mm. But if it doesn't change the next morning, there's no value to it. That's right. He goes on near the end of verse 2. They ask me for just decisions and they delight in the nearness of God. So they want God to intervene for them with righteous judgments. Things aren't going well as we will see in a moment. But they do not see the real problem. They love to come to worship. They love to come to services. They enjoy it. They talk the language of the nearness of God. They talk the language. They know it. They know the rhetoric. We know it. We can come in here. We can pretend and put on this face and actually almost believe it in our hearts that we are so close to God. They may even have more uh, such a moving religious and aesthetic and experience with God in their efforts to draw near to Him, but something is wrong and they don't know what it is. You see it. They, they don't know what is wrong. They ask. They cry out in verse 3 to God. They say, Why have we fasted and you have not seen? Why have we humbled and afflicted ourselves and you have not heard? Something is wrong. And they are fasting. They're trying to make it right, but it isn't working. Something is so wrong. There is a, there's something wrong. Have you ever been in a place where you feel like you fasted and you fasted and you fasted and there's no breakthrough, there's no outcome? I would choose to, to shine the mirror of the word and see, are you doing it for yourself? Matthew, uh, in the Beatitudes, when Jesus is talking through Matthew 5 through 7, he talks about how, um, he talks about if you fast in public, if you do it before man, your reward is here. You'll get a temporary, you know, people will pat you on the back and say, way to go, wow, wow, look at him, he fasts all the time, and look at her, like she's constantly in the, the prayer room. But the reward is here. So some, it, there is a total of five religious things that are mentioned in verses 2 through 3 that they are doing all in vain. In verse 2 it says they are seeking God. They delight to know God's ways. They ask God for decisions, just decisions. And they delight in the nearness of God. And in verse 3 they are fasting and humbling and afflicting themselves. All of that, and God tells Isaiah to cry loudly. To cry loudly, not quietly, but to cry out loud, to declare the iniquity of this people. So here's a fasting that is not pleasing to the Lord. Here's a worship that is just not pleasing to the Lord. Is the kind of worship we don't want here. At Jehob, we don't want this type of worship here. And yet, what is wrong with seeking God? What is wrong with delighting in knowing His ways and asking Him for just decisions and delighting in His nearness and fasting and, fasting and humbling yourselves before Him? What is wrong with that? Why? I mean, 
when I look at that, I just see the reflection of my own self. I'm like, I do all that. And it's sobering. And I, I, I have to say, God, search me and know me. And now I understand. When I was reading this, it came to mind about David and why David was constantly saying, search me and know me. Reveal the hidden places. For I don't know the deceitfulness of my own heart, my deceitfulness of my own ways. I think I'm someplace, but I'm really not. <coughs> and in, in Matthew, Jesus says, you know, if you think that the light you, if the light you have is really darkness, if you think that the light you have, that you have a, I forget how it goes, but how deep that darkness is, if what you think mm. is really darkness, mm. how deep that is, and you think it's light, that's just crazy. Mm. <clears throat> it made me just want to get so real with God, you know, just bare my heart and say, I don't know, like, what... What's my real motivation? What is it? Where is this all coming from? What, like, I don't want to be a people who, who cry out day and night, who, who give myself to a place of prayer thinking I'm one place. But what is this all about? Like, is this my true heart? Why am I doing this? God, reveal my heart to me. Because I, I deceive myself and I don't even know it. What's wrong with their worship? God answers that in the middle of verse 3. He says, Behold, on the day of your fast you find desire. You drive hard all your workers. Behold, you fast for contention and strife and strike with a wicked fist. You do not fast like you do today to make your voice unheard, heard on high. Is it a fast like this which I choose a day for a man to humble or afflict himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes on a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? <coughs> so here's the issue at hand. We see the, the ethical, the practical, the relational accompaniments of fasting or worship in general are the real test of authenticity of fasting and worship. Monday is the proof of Sunday. God lists the religious forms of their fasting, humbling or afflicting oneself, no food, bowing their head like a reed, spreading out sackcloth and ashes. Then he lists ethical accompaniments of fasting. You go after your own pleasures in some other ways besides eating or watching TV. You drive hard all your workers and you're irritable or you're angry and you stir up strife. And God asks, is this the fast that I want? Is this what I want from you? The answer is no. I remember reading, I took a class called The Mystical Life of Communion, and um, it was about the mystics, I'm not sure if you guys ever heard of the mystics, they're more like in the Catholic Church, but there's one lady, her, her name was called St. Teresa of Avail, and she was just such a powerful lady, and she really said, like, if you have any revelation, if you're in the prayer prayer room and you have any re revelation and it doesn't manifest itself in an action, then it's completely not real. Like if it's not coming, if it's not being manifested in your life, then it's completely in vain, that there's no purpose to it. Mm -hmm. She said, everything that I get from the 
everything that I get from heaven, heaven's revelation upon me, it comes out in my actions. It either helps me with the orphans and the poor and the needy. It makes me go out on the streets and help. It makes her more of a servant. She just, that was her life. So here we have another test of authenticity. Jesus said, if you're fasting to be seen by others, you have your reward. Isaiah says, if your fasting leaves you self-indulgent in other areas, harsh towards employees, irritable, contentious, then your fasting is not acceptable. God is mercifully warning us against the danger of substituting religious fervor for righteous living. Mm. Don't make the mistake here, though. I just want true fasting, maybe God-blessed means of overcoming harshness at work, or anger, or strife, or self-indulgence. But if fasting ever becomes a religious cloak for minimizing or hiding those things and letting them go on and on, then it becomes hypocrisy and offensive to God. So if you're fasting and giving yourself to these things, and they're not, it's a direct attack against your sin, then it's just... I don't know why you're doing it, because you're just cloaking yourself in self-righteousness, basically, which will get you nowhere. Isaiah preaches justice to the people, and Jesus displays justice to the people of God, and suffers and cleanses and empowers us. He's the one that came and gave himself. He paved the way for us to know how to do this, how to walk it out. And he came to empower us. So our piety will produce a passion for social justice. Our, our intimacy with Christ, the time we spend with Jesus, it will flow over into other people. It will flow over into other people. If you're spending time with Jesus, and, it, and it's authentic lovesickness with Christ, it will touch people around you. There's no way around it. There's no way around it. It has to or it's not real. It's a sham. You're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. If it's not affecting your coworkers, if it's not affecting, if you're walking down the street and you continue to ignore the person on the sidewalk day after day, I would look, examine yourself. Because I know, I know, for me, I, I was here in the, for the first probably two years, just gave myself to the place of prayer. Just I was here, I was praying probably eight hours a day with a girl named Abby, and we, we gave ourselves to just praying for presidents, socialist issues, different things, and we just were always praying. I didn't go out much. It was, I was literally in this room, like, a lot, like eight hours a day. <coughs> And I remember one day the Lord really spoke to me and he said, I want you to go outside. <laughs> I was like, what? I don't know. <laughs> go outside. What? <laughs> um, so I brought, I finally decided to take a book. I'll go sit at a coffee shop and I'll drink a coffee because I love coffee. And I'll just sit there and read. And the Lord really narrowed in and said, I want you to develop a pattern. I want you to watch and see 
what will happen. So literally for months, probably three, four months, I just sat and read my, you know, little books that I was involved in, reading the Bible and the Word, and just sitting there. And literally I did nothing, and people started swarming to me. Literally I did nothing. I didn't say, I didn't reach out and say, hey buddy, how you doing? I'm Jordan. I live down the street. Because that would freak any Bostonian out. They'd be like, oh my God, you're not from here. Like, so, <laughs> so I just, I just sat there and I said, Lord, like, you got to do this because I am not comfortable. I'm not called. I don't feel like I'm called to people. Like, I'm like, that's my, like, no, seriously. Like, I was like, I'm called to the house of prayer. I'm called to prayer. I'm not called to people at all. And I'm like, that's my sister's job, who's in New York City, dealing with the poor and the broken and the destitute. And um, slowly but surely, the past three years, I, I mean, the Lord has opened doors where I have been able to just... Yeah. The community out in Central Square, it's unbelievable. I have... Just a couple weeks ago, I was walking down the street, actually, and a friend of mine, Jacqueline, she's homeless, her and her husband, Franny, and they, they love me to pieces, because I met them, I sat out in the rain with them for like two hours, just talking with them, and loving on them, and bought them food, and we ate together, and just sat with them, and ever since then, we just, I built a relationship with them, and it's just been awesome, so I went over to say hi to them, and there was this kid that I had never seen before, and because I'm out there so often now, I recognize New people, like, I've never seen you before. Who are you? But the kid comes up to me, or Jacqueline says my name. She's like, oh, Jordan. And the kid looks over, and he's like, oh, you're Jordan. And I'm like, yeah, I'm Jordan. <laughs> and he's like, I've heard about you. And he's like, can I talk to you over on the side? I'm like, oh, uh, sure. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I guess. Um, so we walk a couple feet away from everybody else, and he goes, listen, he's like, I just got out of jail. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> awesome. He's like, I just got out of jail. He's like, my mom died two days before I got out. He was like in tears, and he goes, but I heard you pray for people. He's like, will you pray for me? And I just, after that, like coming home after that, I was like, God, like that is so amazing, you know, how far you brought me, like, I never, ever did I think that I would be on the streets with people involved, and I, it's, I'm not just street people, I'm like, I have Harvard students, which, well, some of you guys are Harvard students, talking to me and asking me questions I don't know, and, <laughs> and um, just being able to build relationship with people is just incredible, um, <clears throat> So, we'll, we'll continue on, because I could go on story after story, but verses 16 through 12 in Isaiah 58, it describes what is involved in living out a fast, and what amazing, amazing rewards there are for Come living on. this way. Come on. Mm -hmm. This is so <laughs> awful. Okay. I'll <clears throat> okay. First, we're going to, the description of fasting itself and then the promises of God for those who live this way. 
Um, don't make the mistake of thinking that this is like a job description of like things that you're required to do. Like I just want to make sure because we don't have to earn anything from God. You know, he paid the price and we are his. There's no earning going on here. But the God of Isaiah cannot be negotiated with. He is sovereign and free. He gives graciously to those who trust him. Isaiah 30, 15 says, For thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, has said, In repentance and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. The strength to do the fast God calls us to do does not come from us. I just want to make that clear. The strength to do this, the strength to go out every day and, and meet with people and love on people does not come from myself. And when it does, I know. I, f- I literally feel weightiness. I, there's a difference when I know that I'm stri- going in my own strength. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it comes from God. And it comes through trusting in Him. So let's look at what God says. It says, the fast that God chooses. At the beginning of verse 6, <clears throat> he says, It's to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free to, and break every yoke. Yeah. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless into your house, to see the naked, to cover him, and to not hide yourself from your own flesh? And then in verses 8 and 9 come the promises of what will happen if you trust in his fasting directions, but skip over, but we're going to go on to verse 9 and 10. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of wickedness, and if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, that's his prescription. That's the fast that he has for people who are sick. That's the, the, that's the remedy to what the devastation that is taking place around us, the destitute, that is, that is the prescription that he has for, for us. Lift the burden of bondage. In this fasting, we are called to lift the burden of bondage. It says to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. Verse 9 if you remove the yoke from your midst, bonds, bands, yoke, oppression, yoke, mm-hmm. yoke. The point here is live to free other people, not burden them. Mm-hmm. That's good. Like that. that is good. Live to free other people and not burden them. That is what the Pharisees did. Mm-hmm. Jesus said in Luke, 1146, woe to you lawyers as well, for you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourself will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. We are called to free people from burdens and not oppress them with burdens. Mm. Feed the hungry. In this fasting, we are called to feed the hungry. Verse 7 says, is this the fast not to divide your bread with the hungry? I remember one day I was walking out on the street and I came across my friend Tommy, he's in a wheelchair, and he's just funny, he's a funny man, he's probably in his 60s, and I saw him from a far away, and I was like, I know I should go over to him, but I only have $5 in my pocket, and I really want a coffee, but I know he's probably hungry, <laughs> you know, and I, as I was 
doing this all in my head, like, what to do. Love the guy, but I love my coffee too. <laughs> That's awful, but literally, this is the stuff that goes through your head. You're debating on what to do. And finally, I get real, and it really shook up, like, the Lord being like, really, Jordan? Really? I'm like, but I only have five dollars, and I don't know when the rest is coming. Like, I live by faith, but I don't know how great that faith is. <laughs> and <laughs> finally, the Lord, I was, I was waiting to cross the street, and the Lord really changed my heart in that moment. And I walked over to Tommy, and I said, hey, Tommy, how are you? He's like, good. He's like, but I'm starving. I'm like, of course you are. <laughs> what would you like to eat? And he's like, pizza. I'm like, oh, from 7-Eleven, thinking I could still get by. He's like, how about from the pizza joint next door to 7-Eleven? And I'm like, Come on. I'm like yeah, <laughs> you want some soda to go with it? <laughs> and so I got him some, but even to that place of feeding the poor. Like, I believe that there is a, a seed just thrown in that moment. Yeah. You know, whether words, like, I only, it was just an instance. Like, it was probably a 10-minute ordeal. I fed him and then took off. But I believe that every act in obedience with Christ is a seed thrown. Sure. And it says that, like, you know, truth, the word will never return void. Yeah, you know, so I, I just pray, you know, even over Tommy and all the people every day, just like whatever is done, whether words are spoken or not spoken, that seeds would just grow, whether I see yeah. the fruit of it or not. Yeah. That the Lord is the God of salvation; that He He harvests. He's the one that brings about salvation. Yeah. I'm just obedient, and I just do what He says. House the homeless. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sorry. <laughs> Housing the homeless. In this fasting, we are called to house homeless and bring the homeless and poor into your house. I wish. I keep seeing a building over on Prospect Street that's completely abandoned. It's a junk, like a huge like apartment. It's junky. Like, it's disgusting. But I keep going, oh, that could house so many people. Like, it could just, and it's just there abandoned for years since I've moved here. I mean, I just keep praying over that the Lord will give Jay up. That we could house the homeless and actually do it right. <laughs> you know? Clothe the naked. In this fasting, we're called to clothe the naked. It's not very often you go down the central square and see someone naked. Although. Although it has happened. <laughs> Nothing surprises me anymore. <laughs> um, we're also called to be sympathetic towards people, compassionate, to feel what others feel, because we have the same flesh. It says in Hebrews 13, 3, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves are also in the body. You have the same flesh as them, so put yourself in their place and what they would feel. Uh, so oftentimes I'll get in discussion with other people because they'll talk to me about what what I do and, like, why I love people and homeless people. And they're like, but they made their choice themselves. You know, just what the heck. And just these conversations. But it's just like, if I was in that place, if I was sitting there on the sidewalk, I don't care what choices were made. I don't care their past or what the choices led up to that. If I was in their place at that moment and 
somebody mm. either ignored me and walked by, that would be heartbreaking, number one. Or number two, somebody came and stopped and said hi and sat with me. Mm-hmm. That would mean so much more. Mm-hmm. That would mean so much. give ourselves to satisfy the soul of the afflicted finally in this fasting we're called not just to give food but to give ourselves our souls not Mm. just to satisfy the stomach of the poor but the soul of the afflicted Mm. and if you give yourself your soul to the hungry satisfy the desire of the afflicted John Hayes, I'm not sure if you guys heard of him, he, he said, he spoke and he said, ministry to the poor is not merely just giving things away, it's giving yourself. It's not just relief, it's relationship. Mm. <clears throat> and I think that's something we all need to, yeah. Yeah. you know, look at in our own life. Like, how often do we build relationship with mm. the poor and the needy, you know? Now, if we trust God enough to follow him, through this, what will happen in our lives in our church? If we trust him to walk out these things, to do the fast as he des- described it, what would happen? Revival would happen. That's what would happen. If we did what he spoke of in Isaiah 58, went and be- were obedient, revival would happen. It says, darkness will become light. If we fast like this, the darkness in our life, it will become light. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Then your light will rise in darkness, and your gloom will become like the midday. Physical strengthening. If we follow this fast, there will be physical strengthening. And your recovery, in verse 8, and your recovery will speedily come forth. And he will give strength to your bones. Who knows how much weakness is in us because we may not be pouring our energy into the weakness of others. Wow. How much we suffer. Who knows if we're suffering our weakness, fatigue, is because we're not pouring. Who knows if it's because we're not pouring into the suffering of other people. Pouring ourselves out. God all around us with righteousness and glory. If we follow this fasting, God will be in front of us, behind us, in the midst of us with righteousness and glory. Verse 8 at the end, it says, And your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. So God will be in front of you with righteousness and behind you with his glory. It says in verse 9, Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, Here I am. Whenever the role is called, he will always say, Here. When we are doing what his son did, when we are being obedient as his son was obedient, becoming poor so that others might become rich, that says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, then God moves in on us and behind us and in front of us and surrounds us with omnipotent love, protection, and care. If we follow this fasting, God promises that he will guide us continually. And the Lord will, verse 11, and the Lord will continually guide you. What an awesome promise. I wonder how much confusion we have in our lives is due to not pouring in to the poor.
seems the Lord gives his most intimate guidance to those who are bent on giving themselves to the needs of others, especially the poor. It says, God will satisfy our soul, verse 11, and he will satisfy your desire in scorched places. Our souls are meant to be satisfied, but we have learned again and again that satisfaction in God comes through consummation when we extend our satisfaction in Him to others. Pouring ourselves out to the poor is the path of deepest satisfaction. And we're in such a scorched place. We are in a dry and barren land. And if we give ourselves to others, we often feel like, oh, I'm so dry, I'm so empty. It's because we're not giving ourselves to the things he's called us to give ourselves to. God will make us a watered garden. If we follow the instructions to fast, he will make you into a well-watered garden with springs that will not fail. At the end of verse 11, it says, And you will be like a water garden, and like a spring whose waters do not fail. I believe that is direct, directly connected to John 7.38, where he says, He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water, as a spring of water that does not fail. And it says, God will restore the ruins of his city and his people. <clears throat> if we follow this fasting, if we give ourselves to the poor, God will restore the ruins of his city and his people. And those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations, and you will become a repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets in which to dwell. Boston has such a rich heritage. Mm. I know that in my prayer life, I constantly ask the Lord, God, I want to be a restorer of the breach. I want to dig the wells of revival. I want to see your glory. I want to see your light break forth. I want to see men and women healed. I want to see the hungry satisfied in you. I want to see the broken mended up. I, wa I want to see prisoners set free. I want to see the addict set free. I want to see the very things that you planned for, for Boston from the very beginning of time come into great the greatest fulfillment in history. In my day, that's what I want. When we cry out for revival, that's what I see. I say, God, break forth with your light and your glory in this city. Mm. And he continually points me back. Feed the hungry. Give yourself. Give yourself. Give of yourself and I will fill you. There's this quote by Star Daily. I'm not sure if any of you heard of this. It was kind of a cool story. I was in a bookstore down the street and I was just going through the religious material, kind of looking all used bookstore. And I came across this book called uh, The Way of Holy Affection and Spice Star Daily. I'd never heard of it. It looked old, like it's old. And I didn't know his name, so I tried Googling. There was like nothing on him. So I read the first couple pages and it totally blew my mind away. He's, his message basically is about the radical love of Christ. And um, he was uh, he was just an awful person. <laughs> 
<laughs> he gave himself to a lifestyle of being a criminal. Like that's why he he said that in his book that he wanted to walk into cities and make cops fear that he came there. That was his desire. He wanted that, and so <clears throat> he says that when he was in a prison, that the, Jesus came to him in a dream and set him free of all these things, and that he started, this was back in like 1915, but I'm going to read um, just a, a clip from his book, it's, his book's called Love Can Open Prison Doors, and he, he says, love simplifies life, all that is less than pure love complicates it. Love is endurable and eternal. It is the one ultimate expression which can combine and sustain all principles of the natural and spiritual worlds. It is the application that releases the soul of man from bondage of limitation. Love is God in action. And the process of becoming the doctrine of love is to grow in oneness with God. The beautiful thing about the doctrine of love is that it casts out all fear all striving and struggling. You merely act and express, it, express the virtues and qualities of love, and all that is needed to sustain you in happiness and harmony are inevitably consequences of your action. You are attached to nothing except the action of love. You desire no results, but possess perfect assurance that the correct results necessary to your life at a given time will be supplied. <clears throat> That's amazing right there. We are so often result-orientated. We're so result-orientated. We want to go get Boston. We want to see everyone get saved. You know, Jesus came and he died for us while we were still sinners. He came while we were still stuck in our sin. He didn't know who's going to choose him or not or reject him. And he says... If you do nothing but love and expect no return, that it will come anyways. Like, there will. It will just automatically follow you. Our job here is to learn to love. It is the only obligation man has in the world. There is no other religion, and it is all the salvation possible. Any service rendered in an effort to placate God is futile. If you think you can serve God... Well, at the same time you have in your mind that you are serving God, then you are separating yourself from God. Service to God is present only when the thought of serving Him is absent. Do you guys get that? I'm going to read that one more time. <clears throat> Service to God is present only when the thought of serving Him is absent. When you love the service and think not of the rewards or results, or that you are doing it for God in return for gifts, God will then draw near to you. We need to become those who love to the point of death. I, <laughs> I know that sounds <laughs> to the point of death. I really believe that God's raising up a new form of evangelism where it goes beyond handing out a tract here and there and scaring people away, but really to the point of where it says no greater... Love is this, than one who would lay down his life for another. I mean, Paul said that he wished that he would forfeit his own salvation so that the Jews, that's how passionate in love he was for a, even a specific people group. He said, I would forfeit my salvation if only these people would know Christ. 
He loved them so dearly. And I feel like even Boston, like if we claim to love this city and love, hopefully you do love this city. <laughs> if you, but I know for myself, I love this city. And every time I come into a prayer meeting, no, the Lord has truly changed my perspective because before, when I wasn't going out on the street, I had no names, I had no faces, but now I come in to prayer and all I have are faces flashing before me. When I pray for mm. revival, I have flashes and images of yeah. people that I've seen through That's the good. week, and I'm like, God, it makes it so much more real. I could just, yeah. I just could cry. <laughs> it's unbelievable, and it doesn't have to all be in word. I, I'm just going to finish with a couple of uh, just simple stories of how this works. Like you don't, have, like it doesn't have to be something extravagant, but it has to just catch your, your attention has to be somewhere else than yourself. Come on. That's all that it is. It's turning away from yourself. That's all that it is because we're so self-consumed. Mm. But anyways, I remember one day I have a friend named Ryan. I'm going to just finish with a couple, this story, I guess. <clears throat> um, he's an alcoholic, and he lives at the YMCA. And I've known him for about three years, four years. He was like one of the first people I met. And seen him struggle off and on, off and on, like just six months sober, three months completely gone. A year sober, six months completely gone, off the wagon. And I remember the first time I, uh, he had been sober for about a year and three months. And all of a sudden somebody was like, Jordan, do you know where Brian is? I haven't seen him. And they're like, yeah, I think he's drinking again. And I remember just going up and down one night, Mass Ave, up to Davis Square, like just going into the bars and just looking for him. I wanted to drag him out and get him some help. Like, just like, no, this isn't happening. Like, you are not. Because he went to Gordon. He was a Gordon student at one point. He knows Jesus. He just is struggling. Yeah, I just remember that because I see all you Gordon students. But it's not like there's, it's crazy. Like just seeing him and just going in. I didn't find him that night, but I came home and I prayed and I prayed and saw him on a bench the next day and sat with him. And then next thing I knew, he was in the hospital for about a, uh, two and a half weeks. And then I went down to the coffee shop, and he was there, and I just sat with him. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, I don't deal with alcoholism. I don't know anything about this. Like, I don't know anything about anything. Like, I am, like, completely naive when it comes to street stuff, like, or anything for that matter. And I just remember sitting there and praying silently in my head, God, like, what do I say? What do I say? What do I say? Like, I want to see him free. Like, what? He looks awful, like, it looks so bad. He just looks so bad. God, I want to see the chains of addiction broken off of him. What can I say? And the Lord said, shut up, Jordan. Be quiet. Sit with him. And I sat there with him, and we sat there, and I just go, ah, how are you, Brian? And he's like, oh, not good. And I just sat there, and then all of a sudden, in my head, the battle with God, I always do this. It takes me a few minutes to actually obey, but uh, the Lord said, Jordan, I want you to hold his hand. And I'm like, God, no, no. He's 37. He's young. Like, he's going to, I don't know, 
like that just could be bad. <laughs> that just could be bad. <laughs> you know, like I'm not gonna do that. And he's like, no, Joanna. And then I'm like, I'm just thinking that. Like, and then I thought, why would I be thinking that? Like, that's just not. Like, that's just not normal. Like, <laughs> so it's like all these tricks. Like, your mind wants to play this trick on you. Like, oh, it's just me thinking that. But of course, it's not me thinking that because I would never do that. And so finally, probably I wrestled with it for about ten minutes and got to this place to say, okay. So I just went like this. I'm like, reached out of my hand on top of this, and he just looked at me. And tears filled his eyes. And he just started crying and crying and crying. And I just sat there. I was like, I don't know what to do. He was just a man bawling his eyes out. And I have nothing to say. And the Lord just continued to just be like, shh, shh. And the, the effect of a touch of obedience. When you are obedient, whether it's in word or in action, it will penetrate the hardest of hearts. Mm, that's good. It will. Whether you see it or not, that's something I wrestled with for about the first three months. of just saying, God, I don't see any improvement. I don't see anything. What the heck? What the heck is going on? And the Lord really said, like, it's not up to you. Salvation belongs to me. You know the weight that came off of me in that instant? Mm. Salvation belongs to me. But you just need to be obedient. Stop being so self-focused, self-consumed. Yeah, start cool. looking to the left and to the right. Go to the highways and the byways and see the people that are in need. Who need the love and the touch of Jesus. That's what Jesus did if we just look at his life in the Gospels. And did what he did. If we did that, we keep crying out, God, Jesus, make me like you. I want to be like you. He's like, I put the pathway before you. And so even on Friday, we have the outreach. This is a, on a scale, this is so minimal. This is something that we need to get our hands into. I encourage you. Revival is within you. And it will only come when you turn from yourself and start looking outwards. I just want to encourage you, if, if you need... I don't know how to even end this, but if you need prayer for anything. Go ahead, Will, give me the mood music. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a couple things are going through my head. Uh, simply that Jesus was filled with compassion. It wasn't boiled down to a science or a program or some kind of structure. Simply, he was moved with love for those who needed ministry, who those who needed affection. And I, I am honestly a, a, a firm believer of this, that we cannot go throughout our Christian life without our hearts being turned to the perishing, to, to the heart, our hearts being turned to the afflicted. Uh, you know, Jesus, or James said, pure and undefiled religion is what? Is what? It's to care for the widow. It's to care for the orphan. The first and second commandment is what? It's, it's, it's falling deeply in love with the Lord, but then out of the overflow of that love, turning our hearts to our, 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 our neighbors, right? And simply, those weren't just our physical neighbors who lived next door. You know? the, Jesus was, it was broad. 
Turn your hearts towards people. Turn your hearts to the orphan. Turn your hearts to the widow. There is an epidemic in our generation where we, there's like this vice or this kind of, that locks our mouths, that locks us into, you know, some kind of rut where we not refuse, but I think we just won't be compassionate. We just won't be obedient. I don't know if, if that's the same for you, but I've, I've walked past many people of which I've known the Holy Spirit's prompting my heart to connect with them, and I don't. I don't know if anybody can, can attest to that. There's something wrong with that people. Yes, Jesus gave us a commandment in the New Testament. We're to abide by that commandment. And it's not, you know, we get so into our little cultures of like, just let me feel the presence of Jesus. That's awesome. I love the presence of Jesus. But I know it doesn't stop there. That presence is to do something. It's going to cause me to be moved with compassion, the compassion which filled the Son of God to reach out to my neighbor, to live what James says is pure and undefiled religion. This may be a little hard, but you know, we, we, we want to be the body of Christ. We need to be provoked in this area. A lot of it, we're just looking for God to move, 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 and that's good. But we have to understand that God has made us the agent of change. He's made us that person or that woman or that man who actually... Are, are being called and hopefully prompted to reach out to a dark and dying people, and perishing people, and afflicted people. You understand what I mean? So that was the error of the Pharisees. Jesus was hip to that. Jesus, Jesus knew that they were just heaping up on things, calling people to things of which they knew they would never do. And I can't stand here today and call you to something that I myself am not doing. I refuse to just boil down my walk with the Lord as some kind of four-wall experience where we all just come and get the goosebumps uh, and, and worship or whatnot. That, that's what Isaiah 58 was all about, just in layman's terms. People were so consumed with themselves, so consumed in their little religious bubbles that, that they were doing plenty of fasting. They were doing, uh, you know, living, you know, or, you know, appearing even to be righteous. There was no outward momentum. There was no outward expression of Christ's love, of, of, of the love of God. And that's what that's what Isaiah 50 said. No, I, I, this is not what I've chosen. This is what I've chosen. Go and do. Go and reach. Go in love. Let's not break it down to systems and structures, people. Simply get filled with compassion in your heart. Simply... We just last month had an outreach, and I tell you what hit me. And I, I listen. I'm born, bred, raised in the uh, in the compassion movement. The last church I helped planted strictly just focus is on the homeless community there. So I'm I'm well immersed in it, well educated, well in the thing. You know what I'm saying? But I tell you what it hit me the most is when we were just at our last outreach down there in Harvard Square ministering. And at like around 10 o'clock, people started building their cardboard houses and started getting their little blankets out. It was freezing, people. It was freezing. We don't know that reality. But you know what? My heart was filled with compassion. And some of us might say, oh, they just choose it. That's what they... Guys, it's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. Listen, let's stand. We're not going to have an altar call. I want your heart to be provoked. 
God, I pray, Lord, that you would move us. Lord, that you would fill us with the same compassion that filled the Son of God. Lord, that we would be moved. And Lord, upon being moved, God, that we would act. Lord, that we would obey God.